This morning's Bible reading will come from Luke 2, verses 21 to 40. When the eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. And when the days of the purification according to the law of Moses were finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, just as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples a light for revelations to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed, and a sword will pierce your own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed." There was also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple, serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had completed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The boy grew up and became strong, filled with wisdom, and God's grace was on him. Now, friends, when we uh, read a story like this one, when we're trying to find meaning in this text and to understand how it should apply to us, how it's useful to us, how it should inform our lives and how it should shape, you know, um, shape us in, in, in what kinds of different ways, we, uh, we can get a bit stuck because this is, it's not immediately obvious how a text like this, how a story like this one uh, is supposed to influence how we live our lives. So I'd like to ask God to open our eyes, uh, spiritual eyes and our hearts and minds to hear from Him now so that we can do that with His, uh, with His help. So let's pray. Lord, we come before You now uh, humbly asking that You will be with us. Lord, we invite your Holy Spirit to uh, change our hearts and our minds, to open our eyes, to be able to see this morning, even in this short reflection, what, uh, what you have for us. Help us to be changed this morning, that we can uh, live different lives because of what we've seen of you this morning. So we commit this time to you and we pray that you will bless us as we delve into your word now. We do that in Jesus' name. Amen. 
As I said, um, a, a story like this one, it's not immediately obvious how this applies to us. I mean, at the end of the day, this is a story of Jesus being a baby, uh, being presented at the temple, having completed the circumcision rites required by the law of Moses. Jesus here is taken to the temple to be, to be dedicated to God. And then as Jesus is, is presented at the temple, they meet this holy man, he's uh, probably a priest serving in the pre- uh, temple named Simeon, and they meet an old woman named Anna, and she's a holy woman. And both Simeon and Anna, when they see Jesus, immediately recognize him as someone special. And so Simeon raises his arms and he praises God and he says, in effect, now you can take me. You know, this is uh, the, the, the classic um, nunc dimittis. You know, there's a song about that, which is the Latin form of, now send your servant, dismiss me, because I can die now, God. I've seen you keep your promises uh, to me, and so now I can die. That's basically what he says. And Anna, when she sees Jesus, she thanks God uh, and starts speaking to everyone who was looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Uh, And she presumably is telling them that this is it, you know, the redemption of Israel is finally here. Redemption has finally come. And when we read passages like this, we can genuinely wonder, well, what does this actually have to do with me? How am I meant to take this passage and apply it to my life? Well, friends, in our reflection time this morning, I'd like to suggest to you that I actually think this is an incredibly important part of Scripture uh, that we should listen to, that we should take heed of, because it does actually provide us uh, with some take-home things to go and think about and put into place. And the reason I think that this is so important is it because I think it speaks to a temptation that all of us actually face. And the temptation we face is this. Will God act in time? Will He, uh, will he say yes and, and fulfill His promises? You know, we can be tempted to doubt God's goodness. We can be tempted to think that God is so long in keeping His promises that He's just not going to do something about it, that He's going to take too long to really do something about the circumstances we find ourselves in. Just think for a moment about what Anna and Simeon here had to deal with. Simeon, we read, has been waiting for the consolation of Israel. This is an odd phrase. It, um, it basically means that, that Simeon has been waiting for the long-ago promised Messiah to come. He was waiting for someone to come and save Israel. And Anna was a woman who spent her days waiting on God. She, uh, she's been serving Him in the temple every day. She was about a century old at this time, which is almost unheard of in those days. Now, assuming that Anna had been born in Judea, which I think is a, a fair assumption, uh, she, w- she would have been born at the time when Israel or the, um, Judah would have been an independent Jewish state at the time. So what happened was there was this thing called the Hasmonean Revolt and they broke away from the Seleucid uh, Empire and Israel or Judah, uh, as they were known at the time, became an independent empire. And so that happened before she was born. But as she grew up, she would have been part of this free uh, Judah. And then during her adult years, she would have seen how Jerusalem uh, was conquered again, not by the Seleucids this time, but by the Romans. 
She would have been in Judea when the, when the Romans uh, sort of withdrew a little bit and handed over the reins over Judea to Herod the Great, who was appointed by the Romans around 37 BC. And now, roughly 40-odd, 50-odd years later, Jesus is born. And she has been someone who has seen a lot happen in her life. And they have both been waiting for the redemption, the consolation of Israel to come. But both of these people were waiting for a long time. And God, it seems, kept them waiting for years. Simeon, we read, had been told that, uh, you know, the Lord's Messiah would come before he he died, before he, uh, you know, he passed on. And we get this sense from his response in the text that quite a bit of time has passed since he had this promise from God, until it actually happened. He was kept alive, in essence, until he could see this promise being fulfilled. And Anna, the same way, who has been alive for you know, a century or so, has been waiting for the redemption of Israel for years and decades even. And they had to wait and they had to wait and they had to wait some more. They were waiting for God's promised Messiah to come. But they had to wait for years. And I think there's something in this for us to reflect on. Because what happens in the years of waiting to us? I think we're tempted to despair, aren't we? We start thinking that Well, God must not really think about me. Maybe I misunderstood. Maybe maybe God doesn't really know what he's doing even. Because honestly, if God knew what I knew, then he would have obviously done something about my situation already. And we might be tempted to start to wonder if God even really knows who I am. Whether he actually cares about the long-suffering that we are going through. And we can be tempted to, to, to question God's timing. And we can be tempted to question whether God is even good in prolonging our waiting. Friends, have you felt this? The Bible is pretty clear that this is not a, uh, a strange feeling for people that drawn-out periods of waiting are very normal for human beings. You know, we live in a, in a society that um, everything is now. You know, it's fast food and fast relationships and fast everything. Uh, it will take me about half an hour, which is very long, if I order my favourite um, uh, snack pack from the kebab shop in Croydon to come to my house in, in, in Coldstream. That's half an hour. That's long we think. We're not good at waiting for anything, actually. But God seems to be in the business of shaping us while we wait. I think it's for this reason that God gives us so many psalms, uh, which are these prayer songs, to pray to Him, that express this feeling. I think one of the best examples, although this happens quite frequently, one of the best examples of this we see in Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, how long will you, keep, uh, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I go on wrestling with my thoughts? 
Day after day, I have sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Is this not how we sometimes feel? It seems like this is a universal experience for believers. God seems to be slow to act, slow to do something. And I think most of us who have been around long enough have felt this. And this passage, I think, gives us great encouragement in this moment. Because it shows us that God actually does keep his promises. And the specific promise that God was keeping in this case was the promise to bring about the consolation of Israel, to bring about the redemption of Jerusalem, really to to do something about the sin that is in the world, to rescue us from the brokenness that was brought into this world through Adam and Eve when they ate of the fruit God commanded them not to eat from. When humanity turned its back on God and decided we would go our own way instead. Because ever since that first day, God had promised that one day he would do something about the problem. And the whole story of Scripture, actually, the whole story of Israel uh, and its people is bound up in this promise that God would one day do something, send someone, uh, fix the problem somehow. And as the story of Israel develops, we learn more and more about how God is working to make this promise come to fruition. How he would send the sin fixer that would deal with the problem of death and disease and demon possession and all the bad things of this world. One of the first things we learn is that this person would be one of Abraham's descendants as God promises. He passes the promise on to Abraham and said, the whole world would be blessed through one of his offspring. Later on, as Israel becomes a nation, we learn that that this deliverer would come from the tribe of uh, of Judah, the ruler tribe. We learn that he would be a direct descendant of King David, as God promises to David that one of his descendants would sit on the throne of God's people forever. As we go through the prophets, we, we learn more and more about who Jesus would be. We learn that he would be born of a virgin, that he, uh, that he would, as we read even this morning, that uh, the, the government will be upon his shoulders, that he would be given these titles, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. And we learn that he would fix the problem of sin through being a sacrifice like the Passover lamb, As Israel was saved out of Egypt, so too Jesus would be sacrificed and his blood would be on his people and that would be the way that God would save his people, the way in which God would bring about the redemption. And at each stage in the history of uh, of the Israelite people, at each stage we learn more and more about how God is keeping his promises. Each chapter is just another facet of the promise that God made right back in Genesis uh, chapter 3, that one day he would send someone to rescue the world from sin. And all throughout that history, God was working towards this goal. But, and I think this is the key, but that work spanned centuries, millennia actually. Jesus is the answer to God's promise back in Genesis 3. But Jesus was born a few thousand years after God promised it. The Bible tells us that God is not slow 
to act on his promises, as some would understand slowness. But sometimes we have to wait. The book of Hebrews in chapter 11 and and thereabouts uh, tells us about how all these um, heroes of the Old Testament faith never got what they were promised. They didn't see their promise come to fruition because it would ultimately only find its fulfillment in Christ. They received the promises in faith and it would finally come to fruition in Jesus. Simeon had to wait. Anna had to wait. Israel had to wait. But God always, always, always delivers on his promise. Even if it takes a thousand years. Even if it costs him dearly. And it did. You see, Jesus is God's only son. Jesus is God and it's God's only son. He willingly came to lie down to lay down his life for us so that he could pay the penalty take on the punishment take on uh, all, all the badness of this world on himself on the cross so that he could fulfill that promise he was god's answer that one day someone would come and fix the sin problem and cop the wrath if you like See, the punishment, the wages, the reward for sin is death. And Jesus took that, the damnation of God the Father. He took that for us willingly so that we would not have to. So that the world would be restored. Precisely because God promised he would do it. God keeps his promises even though it takes a thousand years. Even though it costs him his life. And it did. And that has some pretty significant implications for us. Because it means like Simeon and like Anna, we actually have the power and the strength to wait upon the Lord for Him to act. Even in the difficulties of of this life, we have the strength to wait because we know that God has already kept the more difficult promise, which was to take our sin and deal with it. But he has also made us a promise. All believers, since the day of Jesus' death and resurrection to today, he has made all of us a promise. And he promised that one day, one day, not the consolation of Israel would come, but the consolation for all believers who have to go through this life. And the promise is this, that one day all pain, all suffering, all tears, all sickness all disease, everything bad will be taken away, will pass away. And we will be joined with him in eternal bliss, gathered around forever his eternal throne, where every tear will be wiped away and every illness will be cured and every disease will be gone and every sad thing ever will pass away. And that is the promise that we wait for. And we can trust that God will fulfill that promise, even in the midst of a difficult life. Because God always, always, always keeps his promise. And friend, if you trust in Jesus, if you trust that he has fully paid for your sins, this will be your reality too. Yes, you may have to wait a few thousand years for that to happen. But what's a few thousand years between brothers and sisters who are going to live forever anyway? God has 
God always keeps his promises, even those he made to you. And if you trust in Jesus, that is true of you today. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for, uh, for passages like this one, where we get to reflect on the life of, uh, of Simeon and Anna as they, uh, as they reflect on the life of Jesus, really, and the fact that you have brought about the consolation of Israel, the redemption of Jerusalem, even the forgiveness of our sins. Lord, we thank you that today we can celebrate the fact that you always, always, always keep your promises, that you will always, always, always do what you say, We've seen you prove that time and time again. Even though it takes a thousand years and even though it costs you your life, you have kept the promise. And now, Lord, we look forward like uh, the many saints before us to the day when you will return again, as you promised, to come and to wipe away every tear, where every mourning and, and pain and sickness will pass away. Lord, we look forward to that day when we can join you with our brothers and sisters throughout all history around the throne and live with you forever in worship. We look forward to that day. Lord, we pray that you will come quickly. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.